Good morning. Before we get cracking, I just want to say I'm so excited. So excited. It's, it's great to be back. It's great to be back for me at St. Michael's. The last time I preached here was 1982. Uh, if you want to score brownie points, you can tell me you remember that sermon, but you'll be lying. And it's so nice for me to see faces. And uh, even your faces. That's a joke. Because, because talking to a camera is such hard work, and you get feedback from uh, an energy from being together. And it's most exciting because we're here to praise the Lord and to listen to him. So would you join me in praying now that the Lord would speak into our lives and help me? Father God, thank you that we're meeting together in your house today. We're so grateful for what you've done in our lives and what you're going to do. Thank you, you've got good plans for every one of us. And thank you that your word speaks truth into our lives. And so we pray together now that the words I have prepared would bring life to us and hope to us and equip us. And we say, Holy Spirit, please speak to us and help me as I speak. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing a sermon series called How to Stand Firm When the World is Shaking. How to Stand Firm When the World is Shaking. And I want to acknowledge right from the start this morning that the place that we're headed together now is a difficult place to get to. If you happen to have seen the talk I gave last week, you'll know that we're examining phrases from the book of Hebrews that all begin, let us. And rather cornerly and cheaply, I said, we're looking at the lettuces in Hebrews. Well, that is indeed what we're doing. And we're looking at what you might call safe territory to stand when the world is shaking. But it's as if this morning we stand at the bottom of uh, a mountain and I were to point out some eerie near the top of the mountain and say, well, if we can make it to that place, and it's going to be very demanding to get there, and if we can stay there, then we will be so, so secure. But it's going to challenge us, every one of us. And I would say the people I've met who dwell in such a place as we're going to today are very few in number, in fact. But they are the most joyful people I've ever met. And they are the most contented people I've ever met. And they are the most wholesome and hope-filled people that I've ever met. But it's often taken a lifetime to dwell in that spot. And what marks them out? What's key? Well, they dwell in a place where their hearts are constantly offering praise to God. I suppose we could say they live in Worship Central. The theme tune of the next lettuce is exactly how to do that. And it comes from Hebrews 13, 15, which basically says, let us worship God together, however much the ground is shaking. Let me read it to you. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God 
a sacrifice of praise. Has it come up? Is it on the overhead? Yeah, great, good. And in fact, this isn't the first time in the book of Hebrews that the writer has commanded worship. In chapter 12, verse 28, he says something very similar. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Now, as I pondered this target that through Jesus we should continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the very first thing I noticed about this command, and I'm sure you do too, is it's a tall order. It's a very tall order. And in point of fact, it, it then occurred to me, this isn't the only place, is it, in Scripture where we are commanded to be continually praising God. And generally in Scripture, if we're commanded something once, well, that's very important. Every command of the Lord is very, very important. But if a command is repeated more than once, I think one of two things, and probably both, is always going on. It's repeated so that we don't miss it, we don't overlook it. And quite often the command is repeated because it's so hard for us to achieve, we shouldn't duck it. Let me just um, recap some of the other places in Scripture where we're told to be continually praising God. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Or Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Or in Ephesians, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. And I rather love a modern paraphrase which says, make melody to the Lord in your heart. And in these days when we're not allowed to sing, nothing can stop our hearts from singing with praise. And even as I point out the target area and how hard it is to get there, even as I say that and have been preparing, I thought, but what a precious gift it would be if we could cultivate such a heart. What a tonic it would be. And I'm not talking, as you must realize, I'm not talking about something glib and insincere. I'm not talking about a kind of fake show which is put on and lacks integrity. No, no, that's not in my mind. And it obviously wasn't in Paul's mind. One of the harshest things I think we read about the people of God from time to time in scripture is when God says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So that's, it's not fakery or hypocrisy that we're being urged towards. No, what we're being commanded to do is to find it in us to praise God all the time, genuinely. Now I've read about people like this. I think um, a very obvious example is a man called Richard Vanbrandt. He was a Romanian pastor and for many, many, many years he was incarcerated and tortured for his faith. And in his autobiography called Tortured for Christ, he wrote this, for three years in solitary confinement, um, for three years in solitary confinement, way below ground level, and seeing only my torturers in several different prisons. They broke my 
back. They broke four vertebrae in my back and many other bones. They carved me in a dozen places. They burnt and cut 18 holes in my body. But alone in my cell, cold, hungry, and in rags, I danced for joy every night. And sometimes I was so filled with joy, I felt I would burst if I didn't give it expression. But actually, as I read that and thought about it, I thought, well, that's rather an extreme circumstance. We're, we're not, God willing, going to be taken into such territory. So I then thought of something that's far more accessible. I, I remember um, leading a service in a church in Salisbury many, many years ago. And during the time of worship, just looking up and seeing in the very front row a couple that I knew really well who were in their mid-80s. And both of them were in wheelchairs. The man had had a growth on his spine for many, many years and had been incapacitated in this way for many, many years. And his wife had quite recently had a stroke and now she too was in a wheelchair. And as we worshiped the Lord, there they sat with their eyes closed, but their hands raised. And clearly they were in a kind of sacred place with the Lord and they were making melody to the Lord with all their heart. And it was a striking picture to me of integrity and something extraordinarily precious. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. A heart that sings in all circumstances looks to me highly desirable. We'd pay a lot for that, wouldn't we? It looks to me like preventative medicine from becoming cranky or self-absorbed or hard-hearted. And I have encouragement for us as we set off on this journey. This can be learnt. It can be developed. It's not something that anyone is born with. Even Paul himself had to say he'd learnt the secret of being content, that he knew what it was to have plenty and to have nothing. He learnt the secret. It, it is something we can grow in. Second encouragement is it has to be possible because all of Scripture's commands have to be possible. God doesn't ask us to do what we can never do. He stretches us, and it often looks like hard work, but he equips us to do what he commands. In fact, haven't we discovered everything he asks of us is challenging and demanding? Everything. Love your enemies. Forgive those who hurt you. Be generous. Spend time in prayer. Even following Jesus. It's all pretty counterintuitive until the Holy Spirit gets to work with us. And the third encouragement as I tee this up is the difference between trying and training. This is a heart condition that you have to train for over years, it seems to me. And we do have to try, but it's not gonna be achieved in 45 minutes. So let's move on, how, how, how are we gonna get there? And very helpfully, another one of lettuces comes to our rescue. It starts in receivership. It starts in receivership. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace 
to help us in our time of need. And it's receivership in both senses of a word. You know that if a company goes into receivership, it means they're bankrupt, they're empty, they've got nothing to give anymore. And you know that you could use the word receivership and someone gives you a present, you're in receipt of, you're the receiver of something extraordinarily good and precious. And what we see described here in Hebrews 4.16 encapsulates both. And I want to start with receiving something as a present. Because the way that praise grows in your heart and my heart is when we actually stop to ponder and think and meditate on and magnify what God has done for us. And I wonder, when did you last give yourself space to let this move you? And when did you stop to dwell on what a miracle it is that God should love you so much? And when did you last open your heart and really enjoy it? I love to think about it, that God says to us, I love you this much. I love you this much. And you know, you put your name there. Guy says, Jesus, I love you this much. Donald, I love you this much. And so on and so on. On the 6th of March, 1987, in Zeebrugge Harbor, the Herald of Free Enterprise set sail, but not for long because you'll know that there was a tragic accident and pretty soon it turned on its side, hardly out of the harbor, and 193 people died. But in the chaos and in the tumult, there was a man called Andrew Parker, and he and his wife and his daughter were together as a party and he described what happened to him. He said, as a party leader of myself, my wife, my daughter and friends, my sole thought was to make sure they were safe. And what he did was he stretched his body out so that his hands held on to a table and his feet were intertwined with some other piece of furniture that was stable. And his whole family walked over his back. And it's estimated that 20 people climbed across him and were saved that day by him. But what he says was, the fact that other people might make use of me, great, but it wasn't my intention. It was Jesus's intention that God should use him. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't unplanned. He willingly gave his life for us to bring us to God because he loves us that much. Sometimes I think of a rather clever cosmetic company's advertisement slogan, which was, because you're worth it. And Jesus would look upon us and say, because you're worth it, because you're worth it. I don't regret it for a moment. You know the children's song that I don't suppose they sing it these days, but they used to sing, Jesus' love is very wonderful. Remember that one? Jesus' love is very wonderful. Jesus' love is very wonderful, a wonderful love. So high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't go under it. You're probably thinking this new vicar, he's quite bonkers, but never mind. So wide, you can't go round it. Wonderful love. 
And friends, we ought never to be ashamed to bask in God's love and to revel in it and to appreciate it and to let joy come from it. And what we're being told in this verse in technical language really is approach the throne of grace with confidence because there you can receive mercy and find grace to help us. And what's the big deal about finding grace and mercy? Well, we all need it. The best illustration I know of our, our need for uh, mercy is a story of a portrait painter meeting for the very first time with his client, his patron. And the patron drew themselves up to their kind of haughtiest, finest, best and said rather curtly to the artist, I demand you do me justice. And he said very quietly, it's not justice, it's mercy you require. And frankly, that's, that's us. That, that is us in, in the presence of Almighty God. Because he, there is no good reason why he should love me or you. And many good reasons why he shouldn't. We, he needs nothing that we've got to bring him. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. And yet he set his love upon us. And he died for us. The story I know that best illustrates this, uh, the point I'm trying to make, is, is a true story. It, it has amazing parallels with the story of a prodigal son. And it's told in a, a book by Floyd McClung called The Father Heart of God. And he tells a story about a young Indian boy, in, a teenager, who um, lived in a lovely home and um, he, he just had a wonderful upbringing. But one day he just decided he'd had enough. And he took everything that he owned and he, he did a runner. He disappeared completely from his parents' lives. And for many years, things went, things went fine. But after many years, for various reasons, his life fell completely apart until he was absolutely on his uppers. And he decided that he would make the homeward journey. But you can imagine that he was pretty uncomfortable about the idea of the reception he might get. And he really didn't know if his parents would want to see him. And so what he did was he sent them a postcard and he said, it's my intention that I will catch a train from so-and-so to wherever they live. And um, on such and such a, a day. And he said, I, I remember that a railway track comes just around the bottom of your garden. And I just want to ask if you, if you want to see me, would you just hang a a handkerchief in a tree at the bottom of the garden, and then I'll know I can come home. But if it's not there, I'll, I'll understand. And as he went on this long journey, as, as he got nearer and nearer and nearer to his home, he got more and more and more nervous until he thought, well, I, I, you know, I really don't think I could bear to look out of the window. So he briefed someone else in the carriage and said, look, please, would you mind looking out of this window? And if you see a white handkerchief, would you let me know? And as they rounded the bend, he closed his eyes, buried his hand, and he was shaken by the man in the compartment. He said, look out the window. And he looked out the window, and every single tree was covered in white sheets. Every single tree. 
And we may not have run away from God in such a dramatic way, but I'm telling you, because you and I know, there have been times when we put our fingers in our ears and we have put our eyes down and we've chosen to ignore him. And God says, I love you, Rupert, nothing's changed. Yeah, you're going to have to change a bit, but the door is open to you. And when you think of that, when you luxuriate in it, and you're allowed to, a song begins to rise in your heart. When anyone says to you, I love you, it's important and precious and wonderful. But when God says, I love you, wow. I read some time ago of a lady's diary when she wrote this. I always begin my day with a good season of prayer. In fact, I pray until I can't pray anymore. And then I take my Bible and I read until I can't read it anymore. And after that, I take my hymn book from the shelf and sing until I can't sing anymore. And then I just sit quietly and let God love me. But we not only receive grace, we're told in this verse we receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And friends, I think it's obvious we're all heading for a time of need. Frankly, my love is not going to be enough. My patience is not going to be enough. My warmth towards people I've never met who are in trouble is not going to be enough. We need God's grace and mercy in such a time of need. And what it basically is saying to us, what you have received at the throne of grace, you will be given the equipment to share that with someone else. Isn't that precious for us at such a time as this? And the way to get there it's through just saying, Lord, I don't have it in me. I come to you broken, empty. And God always, always, always knows what to do in that situation because he fills the hungry with good things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, says Jesus. When you know how much you haven't got to give, but you know God has, that's a great place to start. Well, we must move on. The second key to this praising God all the time from our hearts, is check your heart condition. The next letters, Hebrews 12, 4. Let us throw off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race set out for us. Now, I think this is the first time I've ever done this in a sermon. I've got a riddle for you to help us to, to remember this point. And the riddle is this. What's the difference between singing and worship? Well, one difference is you can fit or find the word sin in singing, but there's no place for sin in worship. Quite pleased with that one. But the point it's making is important. If we want to live and dwell in this space where we praise God continually, it means we're going to have to open our heart continually to God and say, Lord, you, you need access to my inmost being. Holy Spirit, you've got to show me what needs to change. And it, it's, a, it's not a comfortable thing, but it is an amazing thing when the Holy Spirit says, well, Rupert, as a matter of fact, I don't like this attitude that you've got. It, it, it lets me down. Or when you do this, 
I'm ashamed of you and it needs to change. Or that thought that you have, you know, or that pattern of behavior. And the technical word for that is repentance. It's a change of mind. And it's got rather an old-fashioned ring and, and it's quite out of vogue. But it's one of the most thrilling things that God can do by his Holy Spirit is to make us more like him. To enable us to worship him in spirit and in truth. It, it's, it's an amazing gift that the Holy Spirit can do. And if we want to have hearts that will continuously praise the Lord, we must let him do it. Because frankly, if we don't deal with the sin in our life, then every song we sing will be a sham. And we don't want that. We will feel dis-ease in the presence of God. And that's not what he wants at all. We can't praise God with a song in our hearts without letting him change our hearts. Psalm 51 is a good example of this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Feeling challenged? I am. One way to prepare yourself and to make sure that it's not a sham as we worship the Lord is to pray a prayer of consecration or offering. Let me read you one that John Wesley wrote. I'm no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're mine and I am yours. Amen. Well, if you could pray that prayer with integrity, you could certainly worship him with all your heart. And lastly, the third key to this is almost back to where we began. We need to commit ourselves to praising God in our heart, no matter what. There is, there is an element of will to this. Hebrews 13, 15 again, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And it's basically as bold as me saying to you, I am committed every day, every day, to worshiping God with all my heart. Nothing's going to stop that song. It, it, it's kind of like just brute force and commitment. I am going to praise the Lord. And this is something an unbeliever just can't fathom at all. They can't for the life of them understand why, why we would want to lift up praise to God why we need to celebrate his love out aloud. But it's because it is right to praise and prize his name. And when we exalt him and magnify him and big him up, we're on the right track. When we say, we're at your beck and call, you're the master, we're on the right track. That is solid ground. That is a secure place to be on. I love that the great preacher Spurgeon says about Psalm 145, which begins, I will praise the Lord. Let me tell you, he said, you'll have need to say I will a great many times because a lot of obstacles will hinder your resolve. 
These will cause depression of your spirit, and then you must say, I will exalt you, my God, the King. Poverty, sickness, losses, and crosses might assail you, and then you must say, I will praise your name forever and ever. The devil will come and tell you, Christ doesn't care for you, and then you must say, every day I will praise you. And that reading from Habakkuk, the very end of Habakkuk, where Habakkuk just says everything is falling apart, there's no wine, there's no crops, it's just a disaster. But I will praise the Lord. That's exactly what I'm talking about. How do you feel about it? Have I described a little bit the ground we could be on? Are you seeing a way there? In a moment, we're going to pray together, but I'm going to read you a striking example of this. Again, of the ground that people inhabit when they know God's praise. And I came across this example when I was reading um, a book by John Ortberg, and he describes what happened to a young student in America who was training at a seminary. And his placement was to visit a convalescent home. And his name was Tom Schmidt. And he described in quite a lot of detail, I won't go into what a grim place this convalescent home was like. He said, whenever it, it was bright outside, it was always dark inside and it smelled of sickness and stale urine. And he described how he bumped into a woman who, called Mabel, who'd been a resident of this nursing home and was blind and nearly deaf. And she'd been suffering from cancer that was eating away her face. And she was hideously disfigured. And she was 89 years old. And she'd been bedridden for 25 years and had no relatives. One day, Tom, on his placement there, gave her a flower and just said, Happy Mother's Day. And he described watching what Mabel did, that she smelt it. And then she said to him, could I give it to somebody else? It's absolutely lovely, but I can't see it because I'm blind. And so Tom pushed her towards another patient and heard her say, here, this is from Jesus. And Tom said at that point, he, he began to realize that he could learn a lot from Mabel. And literally over the weeks that went by from that moment onwards, he took a notebook with him on every visit. And during one particular week, when he was stressing out, thinking about his exams he must take and a million other things, he suddenly thought, well, what does Mabel think about when she's sitting here hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night? So he asked next time he saw her, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? I think about Jesus, she said. And he comments, I sat there and thought for a moment, about a difficulty for me thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. So I asked her, well, what do you think about Jesus? And she replied slowly and deliberately, and I wrote it down. I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me, you know. I'm one of those, who's, those kind that's mostly satisfied. Lots of folk wouldn't care much for what I think, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the well to me. And then she sang an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. And when I'm sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I'm sad, he makes me glad. 
that he's my friend. Friends, as I was preparing this, and as I was praying over it this morning, I really did feel prompted by God to say we, we need to do something every time God speaks to us. I love preaching from the scriptures. I love reading the scriptures. But I don't read the scriptures and I don't preach from them just so that our head knowledge can expand. It would be a complete failure if week by week by week we hear from the scriptures, we just go home with some notes, we know a bit more, but nothing changes in our lives. That, that would be disaster. We read the scriptures and I preach from them and you're here listening because we say to the Lord, you've got permission to move in my life. Is that not so? We want to be made more like him. And we want this community to be even more like him. So I'm going to do something quite bold, really. I'm going to lead us in a prayer in which I will offer Jesus my heart all over again. And I'll say to him, Lord, I never meant it to be this way, but actually, when I'm on my own with you, it's not always a song of praise in my heart that you hear, is it? Holy Spirit, come put that right. And I want to say to him, and for as many of us who feel comfortable saying to him, and I'd like you, Holy Spirit, to show me what needs to change. Because I can see it's a, a really safe place to be and a secure place to be and a, a promised place and a cherished place to be if we could just praise you. But it's got to be genuine, so I need your help. So if you would like to join me in such a prayer, I'm going to ask that you might stand. And the reason I'm asking you to stand is not to make an exhibition of yourself. It's just sometimes it's good with God to put a marker down and say, I really meant this, Lord. I really meant it. And we're not going to be looking around and sort of looking at one another and say, well, she really needed to stand and she didn't. You know, that, that's not what this is about at all. It, it's just... It's just a private deal between you and the Lord. But I know, because he knows the secrets of our hearts, and he has said to us so many times, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So if you want to pray that kind of prayer, just stand now and I will lead us in a prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we're so grateful to you that you're our friend and you haven't left us to make our own way in this world. And we've read in the scriptures today this amazing place that we could inhabit where a song of praise comes out of our heart the whole time as we approach your throne of grace with confidence and as we receive mercy. Holy Spirit, you need to do surgery on us, in us and through us. We need to hear you. So as much as we can, we welcome you into our hearts. Heavenly Father, we want you to know that we love you to bits because you first loved us. And we want to be worshippers in spirit and truth, all of us, and as a church body together.
please receive us into your company and fill us with joy in your presence. You have our permission to do whatever you like, so long as it brings glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to be seated, I'm going to join in worship us rather quiet, I imagine, but Rachel's going to lead us.